to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Reznik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physicians, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this episode of our podcast. Today, I have here Dr. Archman Seed, and this is part one of our two parts recordings with her. She really has many talents. First, she is a board-certified pediatrician who started her outpatient pediatrics practice from scratch, and now she is passionate about encouraging and helping other female physicians in starting their own practices. Additionally, she has an experience with doing remote case reviews and with being a physician advisor. She helped many female physicians apply for and get hired in similar remote positions. In addition to all of this, she is also a self-taught artist who started during the pandemic and is now a successful artist whose art sells within hours of posting it on social media sites. Welcome, Dr. Asid. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. Yeah, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm originally from India. I'm a board-certified pediatrician. I came here in around 1996 after completing medical school in India. After coming here, I did my residency in pediatrics from Cook County Hospital here in Chicago. And after completing my residency, I started working at a federally qualified health center where I worked for close to eight years. After that, I started my own practice in 2011-2012 and I have been in practice since then. Maybe one year after starting my practice, I quit my job. So I've been doing this since then. Oh, wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about starting your practice? So, you know, I loved my job at the Federally Qualified Health Center because it was helping a lot of uh, low-income families. But And my patients were wonderful. The problem was the administration. You know, federally Qualified Health Centers can become awfully busy. And the the admins, because the admins were non-medical people, they did not realize what goes into seeing patients and taking care of patients and patient flow. So they would, you know, when some patients did not show up, their reaction instead of trying to get those patients in or finding out why the patients didn't show up was to just double book us. And sometimes they would even triple book us. So then if everybody showed up, it was zoo <laughs> with one each slot having like three patients, everybody waiting, patients getting upset. So it was, it was, uh, it could get pretty stressful and you could never leave on time. You wanted to do good for your patients. But, you know, when you have three patients waiting for that same 15-minute slot, you start rushing through. And then I always worried about, you know, missing something, not explaining well enough because this is pediatrics. A lot of it is in, is explaining to the parents what you want them to do, what you want them to look for. So that was, that was some days were pretty stressful. So then I was like, there must be a better way of providing good, quality patient care. This was in 2000, after 
like 2008, 9-ish. And I wanted to start my, I was like, there must be a better way. How do I find the better way? At that time, the internet and Facebook groups were not so prevalent. So I I, I had nobody to support. And I had, since I came from India, I had no like medical school friends or people who could help me actually start my practice. So I just started searching or looking for books, going to the library, asking people. And so that's how I learned mostly from reading books. I did not find any pediatric specific books. So I had to just read about general primary care practices, how to start, what they do. And then, then, then came the money part. I was like, how much money do I need to be able to start? You know, I was an immigrant, so I did not have a whole lot of money to like buy the place out and start. So I just started saving a little bit at a time and started learning and looking and asking questions. So how much money a physician actually needs to start? Okay, so that that is a loaded question. Actually, for pediatrics, because we don't need a whole lot of equipment, I think if you rent, if you're able to lease the office space, then you don't need a whole lot of money. I when I started, I I bought used equipment like office chairs and exam tables. I was lucky that one of my friends uh, who had an urgent care referred me to this uh, to a person who sold these refurbished exam tables because that was a big expense. So I would say you can, you don't need a whole lot of money. You can, you know, if you want to buy everything new, you just want everything to be. So you, it's like, you know, buying a home, you can get the most upgraded finishes or you can get a basic home. So I did the basic home. I see. It's good. That's good. How do you decide on location? So location, I think uh, I had a non-compete with my employer, so I could not stay too close to them. The, the way you can do there now, there are people who will analyze the markets for you. I did not have that luxury at that time because, you know, I was operating on a very slim budget. So what I did was I went to search on Google. There You can search up locations, where, where like tentative locations, which, which are accessible from your home, you know, depends on how far you want to drive. And then you can look and narrow down how many families or different age groups are live within that radius. So I was told that people don't drive more than three to five miles to see their physician. So I looked for families within three to five miles of where I wanted to open my practice. I didn't want it to be too far away from home because I have four kids myself. So my life was pretty crazy as it is. I see. And how do you get credentialed with insurances? It seems like a very long and complex process. You know, actually, they make it seem like that. I think when the more hands-on you are, the easier it is. So I would just search up the insurance find and everything is on their websites now where you can find the application forms you just send it in and then you start calling them and i think that if you know if you do it yourself you can tell them you know i'm i'm scheduled to open so can you please help me things like that and then usually 
even if you start off with one or two, so like I did the big ones first. I did like Illinois Medicaid first, and then I did Blue Cross Blue Shield. Those were the easiest and the quickest to do. So once you get those, then you can add as you go along. How time-consuming was this process? How much time you personally needed to spend to fill out and follow up? And how much time it took them to finish everything? Yeah. So to fill out the application, it, the, it's all your information. So you can do it really fast, right? Where you oh, went good. to medical school, where you worked. So I, I felt that the fact that I was doing my own applications took me mm-hmm. less time because I knew exactly what I had in, in, in to write. And uh, then calling them, you would, I would just call them whenever I had time between patients where I was working. So, and then uh, early morning on the way to work or as soon as I reach work, I would call them. So calling them multiple times, I think that's the, that's the big thing is to keep reminding these insurances, hey, I sent in my application, can you please check? And then they'll give you somebody else's number, oh, I'm not involved, you have to call this person. Then you say, okay, then you take their number and then you call. So email them, call them. But it's, honestly, it's not so bad as everybody makes it sound. I think is uh, just that the way you talk to them and ask them for help, you know, it, sometimes people get frustrated and get upset and mad. But I think that defeats your purpose because you want people to help you and you cannot get people to help you by being mad at them. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Are there any services which can make this process easier? Yeah, definitely. There is services uh, now and then those are practice specific too that will help you and do um, the, the credentialing for you. They do charge, of course, for their time. But if you're short on time, I think you can go ahead and use the services. The other thing uh, I found out later was billing companies. So if you have billing companies who do your medical billing, they also help you with credentialing. I see. I see. And, and so yeah, they're not that they are sorry they're not that expensive as like just a credentialing company because they want you to start seeing patients so that they can make money so uh, i think that's a little bit more cost effective than uh, just people who who credential you i see good to know and let's talk about billing company how do you choose them how do you know that it's a good one <laughs> yeah so word of mouth is always best because you you know your friends if anybody can uh, share their company with you and that's what i did in the beginning one of my friends had uh, this company but she was a family physician and i'm paid so i did use them for the first two years but then they were very good in the beginning when i didn't know anything because they helped set up uh, uh, the billing but at that time we were doing paper paper billing so they i we would have to fax them our bills and stuff like that but the problem was with transparency because i wanted to see what i was billing because you know they don't teach you this in medical school or during residency how to bill how to code and i had worked at an F, at the fqhc for so long because the fqhcs have a pay structure uh, from the that they have a flat fee rate from insurances oh so, i see so they never taught us billing there either. So or we would just bill 99213 or 4, whatever we wanted, and they would get the same amount reimbursed. Uh, 
So I had not learned anything when I started my practice. So I wanted to learn based on looking at my bills, right? If I'm submitting this bill, is it getting reimbursed? And at what rate it is getting reimbursed? But this billing company, because this was an off-site company, I was not able to, they would give us reports, but it would not tell me like in real time how much I was getting for which patient. And I think that is a big thing that doctors have to keep track of what they are billing and what they are getting paid for and how much they are getting paid for. So how did you learn billing? What would be some resources you would recommend for people who just starting and who would like to learn billing? So I'm uh, yeah I learned a lot from the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, billing and uh, what is this uh, practice management uh, website but I'm sure American Academy of Family Practice has a similar one so whatever specialty you are that the those societies should will have billing and uh, credentialing CMEs or classes or courses I highly recommend taking those and then going back and checking to see if you're what you code for and you bill you're actually getting paid for that i see i see oh it's good and how do you advertise so in the beginning i did advertise in the local newspaper and then we reached out to local pharmacies to leave our cards there because we are peds we reached out to local schools and daycare centers even, you know, at that time there was Babies R Us, so we would go to Babies R Us because parents are uh, there shopping for supplies for their kids. So we advertised there. Good idea. Yeah, Babies R Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you should, so for anybody who's starting there, you should look to see where you're going to get your patients from. Where are your patients coming from? Who is your ideal patient? And go and find them there. I see. And how about online marketing? Did you need to do something online, on website or social media? Yeah. Yeah, so, So again, because I had started on a very slim budget, I learned how to make my own website at that time. And I launched my own website myself. It wasn't very good, but it was a website and people could find us there. And then after after we were in business for some time, then I actually hired somebody to do my website. But in the beginning, I did my own website. I did my own SEO, you know, the search op- mm-hmm. search optimization. I did my own. What I'm trying to say is that it is doable. You know, we went to medical school. We learned everything. That was so difficult. We did residency. That was brutal. But so these things are relatively easy. <laughs> yes, it's true. After medical school, everything else would be easy probably <laughs> yeah. in life. Yeah. I see. It's great. And what mistakes would you recommend physicians to avoid when they're just starting the journey? Yeah. So so the first thing is waiting too long. Like the my big regret is waiting for those eight years before starting my practice. I should have done it like within one or two years after having some money, just I should have just done it. That's my biggest regret because especially for women with kids, the autonomy is priceless. You know, when my kids are off of school, if somebody is sick, I adjust my schedule around around my schedule now. And that, that was not possible when I was employed. The big 
thing for me was the day my I had a, my son was two or three at that time, and he had a high fever. My uh, FQHC, they were short of staff, so they said nobody can call off. So mm. I had to leave my two-year-old with a babysitter and go to work, and that was like the most. I'm like, I'm not going to do this again. So that. So I biggest regret, don't wait, don't think, don't overanalyze. We've done medical school. We can start our own practices. If you need help now, there's so many resources. There's so many free resources available. All these Facebook groups you can join based on your specialty or just private practice groups that we can join. And this everybody's willing to help and happy to help. I the see. second thing mistake is to make sure you learn your billing and coding what you need to do how you need so you see patients then how if you if you're seeing patients but you don't know how to bill or you're doing the wrong thing or you're doing something and then you don't know if how effective that is then that is another mistake so make sure you're on top of your billing see what what you're getting paid my billing company in the beginning would just say oh doctor you're doing so good don't worry about it but, but, but I'm like, so two years went by like this. Oh, you're doing so good. You're doing so good. I mean, it took us only six, it took me only six months to break even. So for the first six months, I had to put my own money in for the rent and for staff and, you know, for utilities, everything. I had to put my own money in to pay all this. After six months, I did not have to put any money. The clinic was making enough money to you to meet all these expenses. Mm-hmm. I see. And did you had like how much staff did you had? Who did you had like nurse assistant? So I only hired medical assistant, and I only hired one in the beginning. So and I trained her cross trained to do front desk and medical mm-hmm. assistant. Oh, it's good. And yeah, so you the other thing that I, I see people making mistakes is by hiring too many people. You don't need too many people. In the beginning, you don't have patients. That is the time you train your staff. You do a lot of things yourself, hands-on. So if there is any time when nobody, somebody doesn't show up, you know what to do. And how do you find and train the good stuff like how do you find correct person that that is the biggest challenge for everyone (laughs) but i what we did in the beginning we advertised and hired people from indeed and after that we started reaching out to local medical assistant schools and having them see see if they would be able to if they wanted to send us their students to do externships and it's a good idea (laughs) that way you get a bunch of students and to train and you can see who if you like any of those students that you would like to hire so Hmm. that's how I got my current medical assistant she's been with us for nine years now and she was an extern and we liked her so much and we hired her oh it's 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 really it's great I love it (laughs) it's great it's nice yeah it's a great way to do it. And like now, after so you already was doing it for nine years, right? So after all of those years, how do you feel about this now? What do you love most? And would you I, do it again? Yes, definitely. I love it. I love the autonomy. I get to decide 
what I do for my patients when I see them, how often I see them, how early or how late I stay, <laughs> depending on my personal schedule. And then I get to teach patients. So because a lot of times I think parents uh, with pediatrics, you know, you need to educate your patients to know so that they know what what you're talking about and how it is good for them and for their children in the long run. So patient education you can do so that nobody calls you and the people don't call you like at odd hours of the night for questions that, that they already should have known. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was really, really interesting. It's awesome. And I would love to ask you also about other things you do about your physician advisor and chart review roles and how you help other people to do the same and about your art. It will okay. be part two of our of our interview. It will be on our next episode. So okay. for our listeners, please stay tuned. It will be in our part two. And for now, can you please tell us if listeners would like to connect with you? How, what would be the best way to do it? Oh, they can reach me on Facebook. I'm there all the time. And uh, they can email me. My email, uh, have, we have included in the case notes, D-R-F-A-R-H-A-N-A at iCloud.com. Perfect. I will put it in the show notes for listeners to connect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, Please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.